This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's why Proverbs 25.8 says, Go not forth hastily to strive to fight. So the goal here, again, is to win over the offender, not to beat him up. And the purpose here is to love, not to teach a lesson to. And so when we feel this desire to fight, to strive, that needs to die down. That's why there needs to be a cooling down period. I mean, when you, how many of you have an instant pot? I have an instant pot. I love instant pots. You know? I'm a big promoter of instant pots. I have so many instant pots. Anyway, instant pot pressure cooker, as you know, there are two ways to let the steam out and go. One way is to release the quick release. Do you know what I'm talking about? The quick release on the top, and then you better stand back because a blast of steam is going to come shooting out. It's dangerous. As a matter of fact, I bought the little silicon thing that fits over that that shoots it away from you. Anyway. And the other way is they call it the natural way. I think they call it the natural way. And that's where it, you don't open the steam valve but you just let it sit there and you wait for the steam to disappear. And it does. It's amazing. It disappears on its surface. Where does the steam go? And then you can open it. And after some time, you might have to wait. Well, it depends. If you fill the whole thing up, you might have to wait an hour, you know. But normally it doesn't take that long to wait. And so when we've been offended, we're like the instant pot, you know, pressure cooker. We're full of steam. It's hot. And what Proverbs 25, 8 is saying here, not go not forthly, for hastily to strive, is that when we're offended, be like the instant pot and leave it in the natural mode. And just let the steam pressure just disappear on its own. And don't touch that quick release valve there, because then words of, will be spoken in anger, and it's going to be trouble. So when a person has offended us, the last name we want to call him is my brother. We don't want to do that. But this is exactly the name that Christ used for the person who offended us. Because when thy brother hath offended thee, that's what the Lord wants us to see him as, my brother. He doesn't want us to fight with him. And the closer a person is as in a brother, the more difficult it is to fight with the person. That was a problem for the War Department in World War II. In World War II, 
wasn't a problem to get the Americans soldiers to fight against the Japanese because the Japanese were so different from the Americans and they were not viewed as relatives. But there was a problem to get the American soldiers to fight against the Germans because the Germans were seen as relatives, like brothers. So the War Department started to come up with these derogatory terms like, you know, the Krauts and the Jerrys and whatever. They try to get the Americans to not see the Germans as so close as brothers. So here, though the Lord is, is pushing to not have a fight, so he wants the offender to be seen as, in verse 15, verse 15, thy brother. Now, the first approach or the spirit that you and I need when we approach an offender is very important. And the position that we take with the offender is essential. And that's why in Proverbs 25, 9, Proverbs 25, 9, it says, debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself. The correct position is a debate with, is the word that's used, debate. A debate with is not a lecture to straighten someone out. A debate is not a set the record straight. A debate is not a fight. A debate is like a back and forth, a friendly conversation. Is it where, where you try and understand why was done what was done. When Proverbs 25, 8 says, debate thy cause, with thy neighbor, it means to not come on accusing the offender with words of, you did this and you were wrong. When Proverbs 25, 8 says, debate thy cause, it means to explain in gentle terms how you feel. Something like, you know, you made me feel very sad. That made me feel very sad. Not, you made me feel sad. That made me feel disappointed. Not, you disappointed me. That made me feel wronged. Not, you wronged me. So you're simply telling thy cause, how you felt without directly, directly. Of course, there's an indirect accusation there, but it's not direct because the goal is gentle, a gentle approach because the hope is that the offender will be recovered who has fallen. And then so important when Proverbs 25, 8, 25, 8 says, discover not a secret to another. That means don't tell anyone else about what he did. Once we tell another person how we've been wrong, how he's wronged us, then what we've done is we've painted the picture of how that offender is a horrible person. And that sets that person in concrete. And our goal is for that person not to be a horrible person. So Proverbs 25, 8 emphasizes, don't tell anyone else about how he's offended you. And then when we're offended, what's the first thing that happens? We get angry. I mean, the hair on the back of our neck raises up, which is the result of pride. That's pride. We come to the offender in the spirit of debate where we want to hear his side of the story and we reflect on, on that. That requires humility on our part, humility. We come to the defender with a girl of wanting to see the outcome of what the Lord is saying here in verse 15, verse 15, thou hast gained thy brother. That means we're trying to help him to recover from his sin. And so to come in the spirit of humility means we're trying to, we would like to actually be a living picture for the offender to look at and to see how he should be. It takes humility for the offender to say, you know what, I was wrong and I'm sorry for what I've done. That takes humility. So the more we come to him or her in the spirit of humility, I mean ourselves being humble, the more we're trying to lay out a carpet for the offender to walk down. This is the way, not proud of, how dare you do that to me? So after instructing us to be gentle with offender, 
Proverbs goes on to say in Proverbs 25, 11, Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. So the whole thing's all about the words. The whole thing's all about the right words to say to a defender that starts off by saying, go not forth hastily. In other words, take time to think about what you're going to say. Take time to come up with the perfect words, the right words to say. And those words that we say to a person who's offended us need to be, Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken, fitly spoken. Now, in Hebrew, in this verse, Proverbs 25, 11, the word wheels appears, wheels. So really, when it says a word fitly spoken, it literally means a word upon its wheels, a word on its wheels. That means a word, the words used should glide along naturally. They should just glide along like words on a wheel that run smoothly along, as opposed to words that are not on wheels and that do not flow smoothly and have to be forced and dragged along making deep ruts in the road as they go along. But, but words that glide along on wheels are, are not harsh words. They're not rough words that produce a shock to the hearer and, and produce a painful ruts in the memory of the hearer. But words that glide along on wheels, are they're not words of passion. They're not words of anger. They're not words of strain and violence. But words that glide along on wheels are words of calmness and gentle words. Words that glide along on wheels are polite words coming from a person who knows how to control his temper and not say things that hurt feelings or that leave a painful sting behind. Words that glide along on wheels, they just roll smoothly off the lips to the ear. Words that glide along on wheels are words that are spoken to an offender that might start with a word of praise of that offender for what is worthy to be praised. A word that glides along on wheels that's spoken to offender might start off with, you know, I really appreciate this about you, something. Or, you know, I've meant to tell you that I've admired this about you. That's a word that's on wheels. It glides along nicely. Proverbs says that to have words like that is to have words that, that Proverbs describes as apples of gold in pictures of silver. You know, Middle Eastern craftsmen, they did marvelous things with strands of silver. They would use these kind of string strands of silver and they'd solder them together and weld them and into bowls of uh, animals, for example, where you could see every joint of the animal and every clear little detail. It's just beautiful, beautiful, all made with silver strands. An apple is a symbol of goodwill. As a matter of fact, there's a Jewish custom in Rosh Hashanah at, at um, the New Year's is to eat apples and honey at the new year. Why? Because apples symbolize goodwill. And the idea is that apples and honey should reflect the desire that in the coming year that we should have a sweet new year of God's goodwill. There was a custom in Greece and Athens that a newly married couple, that after the celebration of their marriage night, when they were first alone together, that the first thing they should do is eat an apple together as a token of their goodwill toward each other for the rest of their lives. So when it says 
In Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. It means that a word which glides along on its wheels should reflect a good will to the hearer. And when we speak to a person who's offended us, we should have a good will for that person. So to have the right words that glide along on wheels, we need God for that. We need God to give us those right words to say to the person who's offended us. Now, when another person has offended us, our first inclination is to say, well, that's fine. I'll just sit here and wait for that a person to come back, come to me and apologize. I am owed an apology. And that's not what Christ is commanding here. He says in verse 15 that we are to take the initiative. In verse 15, he says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So we're not to sit back and wait for the offender to come to us. We're to go and tell him his fault. We're to tell the offender his fault, but not with passion, but instead by using reason, trying to use reason. This is coming in a spirit of love. What love does is it gives the benefit of the doubt. Love stretches to give the benefit of the doubt. Now, to give the benefit of the doubt is to believe that the offender just simply has a blind spot and doesn't realize what he's done. Even though that might be hard to believe, that's, this is, it might be hard to believe. Love believes those things that are hard to believe because the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says that love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So those are four actions of love beareth, believeth, hopeth, and endureth. So when it says that love beareth all things, it means that love's, love holds up under the stress of an offense, doesn't lose it. When it says that love believeth all things, it means that love believes things that are hard to believe. But nevertheless, love believes that, well, the offense was just a blind spot. He didn't mean it. We all have blind spots. We all have blind spots in our lives. We need others to come and tell us what we've done wrong. And then when it says, when love hopeth all things, it means that love hopes to the point of actually envisioning that offender as repenting and turning around. And then when it says that love endureth all things, it means that love is willing to be patient, endure, and try multiple attempts to get the offender to repent. So, Going on now to next verse 16, failing to work, failing to get the offender to repent, now the direction is to bring one or two other witnesses. And the choice of who to bring is very important. It should be somebody who's cool-headed. It should be somebody who's objective, who's not your best friend going to support you no matter what, but someone who is likely to be not biased, unbiased. So the idea behind bringing one or two others is for the, each person, the offended person and the offender to have another person hear the words, hear the words that each person is saying. And the best way to hear your own words and what another person is saying is just to look at another person, one or two others, who are hearing those words and seeing their reaction. That's like reading subtitles scrolling away, just like right now as I'm speaking to you, if I could see over there a scroll of subtitles of everything I said, but actually I have it here so I know what it is. But anyway, but the issue here is the importance of the words that are spoken. 
Words determine how a matter will go. They're very important, which is why we need to, those words that are like Proverbs 25, 11, a word on its wheels is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And now in the course of our 45 plus years at Scantabody's laboratory, I am unhappy to say that we have been, and actually are in now, several lawsuits. And so I never wanted to learn about lawsuits, but I got that kind of course. And what I learned is what happens so often, most of the time in a lawsuit, is there are depositions. And depositions is where a lawyer sits you down and asks you questions, which sometimes can go on for six, eight hours. I was in one of 10 hours where you're just being asked questions for 10 hours. It's grueling, it's exhausting. Because everything you say is being recorded Sometimes with video, not just what you say, but how you express it when you say it. And then you need to get into court and somehow there's this 12 foot tall screen of your face and the expression on your face when that question was asked, you know. Of course, they never show the first part of, well, so how often do you beat your wife? And then you get that shock look. That's what they show, you know. But anyway, and at the end of the deposition, you receive a transcript of the questions that were asked and your answers. And that transcript is, I've seen them be 200 pages. And you'll be asked to read that transcript and confirm that that's what you said. And I can tell you that sometimes I've read the transcript and I've said, is that what I said? What was I thinking? Or what was I not thinking? And that results in next time I'm going to think more before I speak and use better words and not say things that didn't come from thought and not say things that just came from, I mean, say things that came from thought and not say things that just came from emotion. So what happens when you bring one or two of these witnesses to meet with an offender is that you can see how the words that each person is saying is being transcribed in the minds of these one or two witnesses. And that should result in more thought given before speaking. So what it says in verse 16, verse 16, when Christ said that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established, that's what it's talking about, the words. And as a matter of fact, the Greek there for established is the word to stand. And when you sign that deposition, that's it. That's it. You just say it and you can sit there and say, well, I never said that. Then they'll come with recording and they'll say, this is what you said. It's not like you can take the depositions. No, I'd like to change that. No, let's just scratch that from the record. You can't do that. So those words of that deposition, they stand and they'll be used in court. In other words, what is said with the witnesses is the official position of each person. And so this idea of having witnesses, this isn't new to the book of Matthew. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 19.15, Deuteronomy 19.15, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinned. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. In other words, stand. So in other words, the idea here is that after meeting with the person who's offended you, instead of just giving up, you go the next try. And the next try is one or two others. Now, Christ is focusing on the best outcome of an encounter between the offender and the offended. And that outcome is in verse 15. In verse 15, the outcome is, if he shall hear thee, if he shall hear thee. Now, if that happens, it's wonderful. And in verse 15, thou hast gained thy brother. And James refers to that in James 5.19, James 5.19, 
Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So James speaks here of converting of a soul, or as another place in the Bible calls it, the winning of a soul. The Bible speaks of winning of souls in Proverbs 11.30, Proverbs 11.30, where it says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, we think of soul winning as bringing the lost to Jesus Christ. They are converted to Jesus Christ. But here, winning a soul is bringing around a person who has offended us to the point of gaining that brother again. And the wise person sees an offense against him as an opportunity to recover a lost soul. He doesn't just look at it from the little cocoon of, what did he do to me? He looks at it from a bigger picture. What is his position with Christ that enabled him to do that? What has he done to Christ? And so that that it's not just an entertain, just not just an opportunity to reconcile between me and him. It's an opportunity to see him reconcile with God. A greater issue. The issue here is that a soul is of great value to God, and we should work hard to recover a lost soul. Because if the loss of a soul is a great loss, the gain of a soul is a great gain. Now, there's always the very real possibility of failure. In which case. Verse 16, verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So in the end, there's no guarantee that a person, even though he might have presented to him the most gliding words on wheels, the best words possible, there's no guarantee he's going to be converted from his sin. It all still comes down to the choice of the person as it does for every sinner who hears the gospel. It's the ultimate decision of the sinner to choose to hear God calling him or not. And if this offender does not respond to our best efforts to make our words glide along and as a beautiful picture as we can of apples of gold and pictures of silver, we're not to give up because the soul is worth fighting for. And we have the problem that when we read a passage like this, we just rush to the last step and we want to expose to the church and see him kicked out of the church. But God has a different focus to try and to try and to try and to try to recover that brother and not see him kicked out of the church. And that's the strategy behind this verse 15. That's the idea and the strategy behind verse 15. Paul spoke about his fighting and fighting to recover brothers in Christ when he wrote in Galatians 4.19, Galatians 4.19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Travail again? If you'd ask a mother, would you like to travail again for that child? Mother say, no way. Oh, wait, as if painful contractions all over again until the baby's finally born? I want that to be the once and for all and done. But to work with souls is to do what Paul said in Galatians 4.19, travail in birth again. And that's what this verse 16 is all about. It's another attempt to bring a person to repentance. And the Lord here gives a number of how many witnesses you're to bring. He says, take with thee one or two more. The number he gives is one or two and no more. Now, why one or two? and no more. The reason is because sin is shameful, and God has designed shame as a prod 
to bring a person back to God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.